Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Scenes from our nation's capital. Uh, Preparations underway for the inauguration of the 46th president include now thousands of uniformed armed military personnel. The pictures, the photographs are pretty astonishing for um, those of us who have frankly never seen our nation's capital capital militarized in such a way. As of last night, some 3,000 members of the National Guard were already present in and around the Capitol building. By next Tuesday, that number will grow to 26,000. They will be joined by thousands of active duty personnel um, as well. Supporters of the incoming president traditionally gather in the National Mall. You have seen those iconic photographs of of Inauguration Day with hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, gathering to witness the inauguration of an incoming president. Um, that is not going to happen. Uh, there will not be a traditional parade. There will not be the traditional parties throughout the city and throughout the week. The National Mall will be closed for President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration due to security concerns. Uh, Washington Mayor Muriel Bowser has also asked residents of D.C. to stay home, has asked travelers to cancel their trips to the area. Uh, That is going to affect those who were planning to travel to Washington, D.C. for the March for Life the week following the inauguration, in addition to those planning to travel there for the inauguration. The home-sharing website Airbnb has canceled all reservations in and around the Capitol the week of the inauguration. Uh, Starting this weekend, Delta Airlines will not allow passengers on flights uh, to the D.C. area to check guns. Police vehicles um, have already shut down streets in a large swath of downtown D.C. Numerous metro stations are expected to close on and on and on and on and on. Um, uh, President-elect Biden had planned to ride an Amtrak train from his hometown in Wilmington, Delaware, on Inauguration Day, just as he did for many, many years while serving in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Those uh, plans have been canceled for security reasons as well. So what uh, might the Word of God have to say about such things? The verse that God brought to mind was uh, Romans twelve eighteen, and I want to um, I want to read it in its full context. The verse that that, brought, that God brought to mind was, "If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all." Um, in context, Romans chapter twelve, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. There's a teaching here then about the body, and then picking up again at verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. 
Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The 12th chapter of the book of Romans. We'll be right back. Well, we had planned to talk this morning with Jamie Ayton from uh, the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. But Jamie was uh, overcome last evening with uh, a rising fever and all kinds of flu-like symptoms. And so uh, he is tucked in bed this morning, hopefully uh, being cared and tended to and uh, recovering. That's our, that's, that's our prayer and our hope. Uh, let me tell you that we were going to be talking about this, uh, this, the launch of this new project called Better Samaritan. I read about it in ChristianityToday.com. Uh, welcome to Better Samaritan. Join us in learning to do good better. Uh, this is really a cool um, effort and project uh, from the Humanitarian Disaster Institute, looking to help each and every one of us who are, you know, certainly well-intentioned Good Samaritans, uh, actually help in ways that are helpful. Uh, because not, I mean, sadly, not all Good Samaritans end up actually being helpful. We can be well-intentioned. We can be energetic Christians. Um, we can be moved by a crisis to, you know, to want to jump in and help. But um, the ways in which we imagine helping are not actually always helpful to people in the crisis, in the situation. And so Better Samaritan is designed to help us learn to do good better. And so I just want to invite you to to check that out um, as you are considering how you and others, particularly your church, might respond um, to crises in your own community uh, across the nation and around the world. So we're seeking to be better Samaritans and uh, grateful for the help of HDI in uh, in equipping each and every one of us to do that. Uh, Jamie and I were also going to talk about um, this, this program that they've got uh, going uh, at HDI that's, uh, that's helping people learn to cope with, uh, cope with stress and um, uh, and, and deal with those kinds of things. So I just want you to encourage you to check out what is going on um, at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and pretty much everything that Jamie Ayton is writing. Um, it, I just find it you know, beneficial and a blessing. So let me cover a few headlines today. Um, uh, Open Doors has released its 2021 world watch list, and it's, uh, it's highlighting the, the impact of COVID-19 on religious persecution around the world. 
so just a reminder that you know open doors is keeping an eye on what is uh, happening to people of religious conviction around the world and the kinds of um, persecution that they experience. North Korea leads Open Doors 2021 watch list uh, for it's a it's a 50 country list. North Korea has topped the list for some 20 years and uh, North Korea is still at the top of the list. And so we want uh, just to encourage folks to maybe use Open Doors World Watch List as a as a guide to your prayers. You could you could pray for one country every week. Uh, so if you wanted to start at the top of the list, then um, then this week you would be praying for people who are persecuted for their faith in North Korea. Next week, you would pray for those persecuted for their faith in Afghanistan. The following week, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, uh, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, India. It's, um, and, you know, we don't just pray a litany of nations. We recognize that precious people created in the image of God who desire to worship God in spirit and in truth are living in the midst of very real, um, hateful persecution because of their beliefs. And we want to lift up those precious people, ask God's divine protection over them, uh, God's uh, divine providence in their lives, just in terms of providing for their daily needs. And also, you know, I would pray for their liberation from oppressive regimes of every kind. Uh, Another uh, headline that I wanted to lift up to you, I found this particularly edifying. Um, We're looking for ways to be unifiers today. What does it look like in the culture today to be a a person who is seeking not only the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace with other believers, but seeking to extend unity to more and more people? Representative James Clyburn has proposed or is proposing that the nation adopt Lift Every Voice as a national hymn. So we have a national anthem, and it troubles him that Lift Every Voice, which is a, a, a beautiful um, a beautiful hymn, often called the uh, the Black National Anthem. Well, that troubles Clyburn because he doesn't want there to be a competing national anthem. He is black. He loves the song Lift Every Voice and Sing. Um, and he's saying, look, it might be an act of bringing the country together if we stopped calling it the Black National Anthem and instead just all adopted it together as uh, a national hymn. What might that look like? Clyburn is a Democratic congressman from South Carolina, um, and and he's he's going to bring this, I think, I think the idea is that he's going to bring this up pretty early uh, in, uh, in the following week. Um, he doesn't want people singing separate national anthems. He wants uh, people to be singing together, and maybe we could all sing together, lift every voice and sing um, as a national hymn. So there's some consideration for you. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's do a few more headlines. We'll be right back. Lift every voice and sing. I mean, encourage you to consider over this MLK weekend um, what you might do um, to genuinely be a minister of reconciliation in your own neighborhood, in your own community. Um, Reach out. Uh, Now, I think that there are a lot of folks who are probably going to hunker down and stay home this weekend. Uh, I 
think that's not a bad idea. And so home improvement projects, I'm going to share with you mine uh, in just a minute. But I want to talk about a couple of uh, ways in which uh, our weekend plans, particularly our Sunday plans, have apparently changed. I mean, I, I think that we know this probably by our own experience. Obviously, we have attended worship services less frequently in person because there have been fewer in-person worship services to attend in the last year. But what Pew uh, Research is now reporting, and this is an ongoing conversation that they have called American Trends, um, what they are now reporting is that in actuality, Americans um, attend worship services far less than previously reported. (laughs) And in actuality, um, in these self-administered surveys, uh, Americans now admit they attend religious services uh, less often than researchers had been estimating. And so it's a good question to ask yourself. Um, you know, this is less this is less about, you know, comparing yourself to everybody else in the country. I mean, just because most Christians uh, only attend worship once a month, that does not uh, mean that's a good comparison for you. Um, the question is, I think, for each and every one of us as Christians, how am I worshiping God moment by moment? How am I worshiping God um, in the context of family worship at home? And then, yes, how am I uh, gathering together with God's people to actually worship God um, amidst the community of believers? So if you want to check out uh, this piece at pewforum.org, this is Pew Research Center's uh, American Trends Panel. It's an ongoing survey of the American population in terms of the trends that we see in religious practices. Something else that uh, popped up on my radar um, in terms of how COVID is transforming religious practices, the Vatican has issued instructions to priests for Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday uh, this year, Googling now, Ash Wednesday 2021 is February the 17th. So it's a month away. So in... um, in the lead-up to Ash Wednesday, I guess priests have been asking the question uh, of the Vatican, you know, what what have thee to say about uh, how we impose ashes this year? So last year, you know, COVID was already a conversation in some parts of the world um, by the beginning of the season of Lent. And so there were some priests in some places uh, where the imposition of ashes did not include the marking of people's foreheads with the sign of the cross um, in ashes. And I got to tell you, that's pretty much what Ash Wednesday is, um, is this imputation of ashes on the forehead, reminding us, I mean, it's just a physical mark, reminding people um, of of our sin. Uh, so the Vatican is saying, well, instead of that, uh, priests could just sprinkle ashes on parishioners' heads, um, thus avoiding touching multiple people with their hands. Um, I got to tell you, if if the imputation of ashes uh, is designed to be a physical act um, pointing to a spiritual reality. So, you know, those of us who are Protestants and certainly those of us who are Reformed do not consider this a sacrament. However, uh, if, if indeed this is a spiritual practice, a spiritual act that helps people understand a spiritual uh a spiritual reality. So it's a physical act that helps people understand a spiritual reality. 
Uh, and for them, it has some uh, some value in terms of leading them deep into a time of confession and repentance. Um, then I'm not sure that it's effectuated by the sprinkling of ashes on the head. Just So anyway, I just think it's a good opportunity for us to talk about how is COVID transforming our religious practices um, inside and outside the church. And then let me uh, let me touch on this because it's a three-day weekend. A lot of people have lots of plans for MLK weekend. Um, there is, for those of you um, who live in the Minneapolis area, just something that I would highlight. Uh, there are lots of folks planning all kinds of things at state capitals. Um, the FBI and other intelligence uh, agencies are warning of such. There's actually a, a and I'm going to use the term loosely here, worship service planned uh, at the state capitol in Minnesota. Um, and it is being led by the Storm the Capitol organizers. Now, I got to tell you that um, uh, that's a confusion of the concept of uh, of Christian worship. And so um, I just think that we need to be wary of participating um, in, in such events. Um, go before the Lord this weekend uh, in a way that is, uh, that, that honors God and honors the Word of God. And, uh, and let me encourage you to worship God in spirit and in truth. All right, home improvement projects. I'm going to touch on this. Um, I actually had planned to talk about this with uh, Peter Kapsner, and we ran out of time. So are you, do you have a home improvement project planned for this, uh, what for many people will be a three-day weekend? Well, I have an ongoing home improvement project that seems to have um, taken on a life of its own. I started out thinking that this project would take me a couple of days, and uh, we are now into at least a couple of weeks. So I think I shared that for Christmas, my husband completed this incredible project of actually making me, with his own precious hands, these beautiful walnut front doors. So replacing uh, an, an old door with, uh, with a broken sidelight. Uh, and he replaced it with these two handmade, beautiful walnut um, doors that, you know, he, he cut down the tree 10 years ago. He's been seasoning the wood. He's, I mean, on and on and on. It, it's pre- they're precious. They're the greatest gift, um, you know, in terms of a physical, tangible gift you could ever imagine. And they're, and they're beautiful. Well, they're walnut, so they're dark. And um, our stairway, which is immediately inside the front door and turns around in front of you and leads to an area that also has a has a rail all the way across the um, uh, the second floor, um, is like blonde. The wood, all of the railings and all of the spindles are like blonde, for lack of a better word, um, to describe their coloring. So I thought to myself, well, I need to refinish all of that so that these beautiful front doors that are walnut can be complemented when you open the door with a staircase that, you know, kind of matches. It's a big project. It has required required multiple trips um, to the home improvement store. Uh, If you are a do-it-yourself person, this is a do-it-yourself project that I don't recommend doing. (laughs) But it did make me um, think, it is beautiful. They're going to be beautiful, no doubt about it. Um, but it did make me consider uh, that I am really an ongoing project uh, of the Holy Spirit. We talk about home improvement. If the Holy Spirit does reside within us, then there's this ongoing home improvement project going on over the course of a lifetime inside each and every one of us. Uh, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Philippians 1.6. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. 2 Corinthians 3.18, 
Uh, for we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is at work within you, my friends. The Spirit is at work within me. There is a home improvement project underway inside each and every one of us. I wonder how much progress we're going to allow God to make this weekend uh, in our lives, in us, as he uh, dwells within us by the power of the Holy Spirit, taking up residence within us, transforming us by one degree of glory to another into the image of Christ. We're going to take a break, and then when we uh, come back, I'm going to have a conversation with Dan DeWitt. His um, his aunt passed away. He's going to be sharing uh, at her memorial service today. We're going to talk a little bit about good words and how to speak them over one another's lives. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, what are you uh, doing today? Where in the word are you? How are you looking at the events of the world? Dan DeWitt joins me next. We're going to wander around in his weekend worldview reader. And we're going to talk about um, not saving all the good words until people are gone. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Teens do a lot of empty-headed communicating especially by cell phone, IM, Facebook, and text. In fact, it's not unusual to see a group of teens sitting in the same room sending text messages to one another instead of just having normal conversations. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Yeah, this new generation knows how to communicate, but they don't always know how to make a personal connection. It's not something they'll learn unless you make it a point to teach them. So open your home for an evening of food and fun. Challenge them to leave their cell phones in their pockets. Look for a way to model for your teen the value of connecting with friends and family without defaulting to their electronics. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Uh, not joining me today from Cedarville University, but from the UP, uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where he is. Well, tell people why you are why you are in Michigan today, Dan, and uh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Yeah, so I'm in Upper Peninsula, Michigan. I'm at, at the lodge that um, I grew up going to as a kid. It's on Lake Michigami, and I'm here because my mom's sister um, passed away. She's been She's fought a good fight with cancer for the last several months, and my brother flew in from Colorado Springs. I picked him up at an airport in Ohio, and we came here to support my mom, And uh, but my family asked me to share at her funeral, which will be later today. So first of all, um, you know, condolences to, to your mom and others who loved your aunt in this life, and then you know, just an acknowledgement that this life is not all there is, and so thank you for bearing witness and testimony to the resurrection power of Christ. Um, I want to direct people to the Weekend Worldview re- Reader at theolatte.com. The lead there is don't save all the good words until they are gone. Um, talk with us about the word eulogy and what it means to speak good words to one another. 
Yeah, the word eulogy, the beginning of that word is from the Greek word that means good, and the end of that word, the logi, is from logos, which means word. So literally, a eulogy is a good word or good words. And it, we usually think about it when, um, like I'll be doing later today, we share good words about someone who's passed away. Um, however, in the New Testament, the idea of eulogy is really a spoken statement of blessing. It's a way that we could use our words to enrich the lives of others. And so the Apostle Paul says, for example, in Romans 12:10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And so I wrote this post as a way of just reflecting on um, my my aunt had um, the beautiful burden of knowing her time was short. And so people had the opportunity to say everything they wanted to say to her. Uh, but it's a reminder not to save our good words about others until they're gone, because when they're gone, we could say good things about them. We can no longer say good things to them. So as Paul says, let's delight in honoring each other. Let's outdo each other in showing honor. That's a good, I mean, that's literally a good word for today, Dan. I think about all the ways in which people uh, speak curses over other people and um, how unusual it is to hear people uh, speak blessing over one another. Uh, we talked We talked yesterday, you, you might find this, uh, you might appreciate this. We, we talked yesterday about a Wendy's manager in um, in hmm. the state of Washington who just started telling people in the drive-through that she loved them, like as wow, like, like as they drove away. Hey, I love you. And people started really <laughs> responding. And now you know thousands of people have not only received her words of blessing, but have returned those words of blessing as well. And you know mm-hmm. it, it does it, it literally only takes a good word um, to begin to change, soften a heart, change a conversation. Um, literally transform the environment uh, where we find ourselves. I mean, we influence the word, the world tremendously through our words. So just appreciate that good word this morning. Amen. You yeah. have... and, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well I, was I was just, just... going to say <laughs> the Apostle Paul, um, Jesus said that we're salt and light. And the Apostle Paul says in Colossians to season our words with salt. And so one of the ways that we live out our life as Christians as salt is with our words. This is how we're testifying to what we believe. And like you said, you never know um, someone's backstory, and a word can change all of that. And so today, all of us as Christians should stop and think about how can we use our words to bless one another and point people to Jesus. So I wanted to ask you about this video that you posted this week um, uh, in the Weekend Worldview Reader, reader at Theolatte.com. Um, what is life? I'm, I'm curious to know why—I mean, you always have a video in here. Why did you choose this one this week, and why should people watch it? Well, it's really interesting because, you know, scientists are looking for life on other—you know, elsewhere in the universe, on other planets. And I have a couple of videos, actually— um, and both of them are dealing with this idea of we can't really recognize life out there until we really understand what life is here. Mm. And in both videos, they end up kind of saying, well, you know, what we need to look for is technology. Um, one of the things that intelligent beings do is they create tools. And so we need to learn to look for tools or technology um, in, you know, in, in the universe. And that's in a way we could identify life. And it's interesting to me that if you don't have a biblical grid, 
if you don't have what I like to call top-down information, um, something that has been revealed to us. In the Bible, God reveals to us exactly what life is. But if all you have is bottom-up information, you're trying to kind of just study your way to make sense of it all, then we get reduced to technology. <laughs> what is life? And they end up saying, well, it's the kind of technology we develop. That's the truest sign of life. But for the Christian, we know that life has um, intrinsic value because it's created by God. And so I like taking videos like that that remind us of what it would look like if we didn't have God's revelation and remind us how we should cherish it and think about how we can explain to our neighbors when they ask the question, what is life? We don't have to go looking for technology to find the answer to that. We know the answer because God's revealed it to us. Well, what would you have them look for then? I mean, I, I completely 100% agree um, with your observations. And mm-hmm. and I think that when we talk about, you know, the, the quote-unquote search for life uh, outside of the experience here, um, you know, on this beautiful planet that we call Earth, um, I— I'm not sure that um, everybody is even necessarily looking for intelligent life or even sentient life. They're just looking for evidence that um, life exists in some form beyond this planet. Am I am I bananas? Am I wrong about that? No, not at all. In fact, I think what they're doing is is interesting and fascinating. But those kind of things, and so I, you know, I would not pretend to have a scientific kind of. Um, encouragement to them for how they might find if there's some some kind of um, life form, let, let alone intelligent life out there. But what I think is really interesting to me and what I'm always interested in is what's the underlying worldview um, assumptions and beliefs. And when people start talking about the, the what and the why of what they're doing, um, you start realizing that there's a missing fundamental piece of information about what life is at all. And it's interesting when you see a scientist kind of come away with that, like, hey, we're looking for life, but what really is that? So I don't have a scientific kind of piece of insight for them, but rather a theological one, an anthropological one, right? This is what it means to for there to be life, whether it's animal life, plant life, but ultimately um, intelligent human life is has intrinsic worth because we're creating the image of God. And so I like those conversations just because they start getting at what's the deeper beliefs held by the scientists, and how can we as Christians think about that, understand it, and then also respond, like we said earlier, with well-seasoned words that point to what we believe. Talking with Dan DeWitt, uh, we are talking about some of the things that are posted in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader at theolatte.com. Dan and I will be right back. If I didn't need to work. I wouldn't be here, I'd be back home on the last frontier. Getting me some of that culture shock. Listening to some you forgot. All right, that's a little uh little song there for the uh UP. Um all right, um Dan, let's talk about uh, a Jesus centered apologetic. Uh you've got a series that you are posting over time. You're at part three this week of a part four series at theolatte.com toward a Jesus-centered apologetic. Let's start with reminding people, what are apologetics? Therefore, what is a particular apologetic, and what distinguishes a Jesus-centered apologetic from other varieties? Well, yeah, so apologetics is whatever comes out of your mouth, (laughs) 
when someone asks you as a Christian, why do you believe that? When you start talking, you're doing apologetics. And the word apologetics goes back to the New Testament where Peter says, always be ready to give a well-reasoned defense or an answer. The Greek word there is apologia. And so that's where we get the idea of apologetics. And there are actually um, a lot of different formal methods for apologetics. And so in one sense, it's whatever comes out of your mouth, right? Like I said, but on the other hand, there are some very um, sophisticated systems for how some people want to give those answers. And what I'm trying to do in, in this short series Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not hearing Dan right now. So, uh, Dan, if you can hear us, Paul's going to try to reconnect with you. Um, for those of you who, like me, can't hear Dan right now, um, this conversation about moving toward a Jesus-centered apologetic um, includes everything from um, the way we describe God to the way we talk about him um, with other people. The claims that Jesus, uh, that God makes about himself in the scriptures become sort of the pattern of the talking points. Um, and then how we talk about God in terms of how much God cares and the things that God cares about and how God demonstrates his care and cares for those who are suffering, on and on and on. Um, there's a Jesus-centered way to do those things. And it's obviously patterned after uh, the life and practices of Jesus. So, what do we know about God because uh, of what Jesus has not only said about the Father, but said to the Father? Like the ways in which Jesus went about um, communicating the reality of God to other people needs to be the pattern of how we uh, demonstrate and communicate who God is to others. That's what a Jesus-centered apologetic might look like. And so when we make observations about um, uh, approaches to apologetics. You have heard me say before that I am a fan of what I would describe as conversational apologetics. Like, I think God belongs in every conversation, and I think it's our job, our responsibility as Christians, to bring God uh, to bear in every conversation. Like, we are we are God's people in the wor- world today, so if uh, if you're in the middle of a conversation and what other people are talking about is clearly leaving God out, then who is sitting there Uh, who God intends to use to bring him in. Like, that would be you. And so, you know, we can grumble and uh, and talk with one another about how little the world uh, sees and understands about the reality of who God is, or we can actually go into the world that God so loves and demonstrate and communicate with our words and deeds, um, and by the demonstration of our love for one another, genuine fellowship, that this is what it looks like. This is who God is, and this is how God operates, and uh, and allow the world to see and hear from us God's viewpoint on things. There's a, it, it is true that many, many people lack a biblical worldview, um, but helping them to see God is our responsibility as, uh, as representatives of Jesus in the world today. All right, we've got Dan back on the line. Hey, welcome back. I don't know what happened there, but uh, if you remember where you were and you want to finish your thought, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm um, using uh, Uper Internet here, so it apparently dropped out. I'll try and make it really short. Um, I think everybody's ready to tell a story about Jesus, and surprisingly, people are willing to listen. So whereas some people you talk to 
may not care about the ontological or teleological or cosmological argument. They may not be ready to study archaeology or historical manuscript evidence. Most people seem really ready to hear a story about Jesus. So my encouragement in this series is read the Gospels, read stories about Jesus, and read stories Jesus told, and read it with an eye to how do these stories about Jesus counter misconceptions about God? So when someone says God is like this or that, or I don't want to believe in a God like that, say, no, I don't either. And this is what Jesus is like. So that's the main point I'm trying to get at and to illustrate in this short series. All right. And then as I'm uh, as I'm scrolling around on Theolatte.com today, I see that uh, just just today you have posted um, a piece that's entitled Why I'm Thankful for Russell Moore. And as uh, a person who uh, worships with Russell uh, in a local congregation and appreciates his writing and his leadership at the ERLC, um, I too am thankful for Russell Moore. So you've caught my attention. Why, uh, Dan DeWitt, are you thankful for Russell Moore? Well, I'm, I'm really thankful for him because, um, one, he's a longtime mentor and friend, and I'm a research fellow with the ERLC, and um, yeah, sorry, um, I haven't had enough coffee yet, Carmen. Um, I'm a research fellow there. And he published an article this week in which he said what he believed needed to be said, and he said what he believed faithfulness required from him, and he did that he knows is going to make his life um, complicated because people within his domination aren't going to like it. Some of them won't, and they're going to challenge it. He's received threats from people not in the denomination per se, but certainly related to his job. It's going to complicate life, and he only did it because he believed it needed to be said, and it's true. And so in this piece, I'd say even if you disagree with Dr. Moore, you should look to him as an example of convictional leadership, and you should learn from his courageous voice. I happen to agree with the article. That's why I shared it. Um, I've been to D.C. twice, and both of them involved Dr. Moore. Um, one time he was testifying before the Finance Committee of Senate, um, and the other time was for his inauguration as the ERLC. He was made for that job. He's custom made for that job, and he's willing to put that on the line if that's what's required to speak to power. And sadly, Southern Baptists have a proclivity um, to be captivated by proximity to power. And when he speaks to the power at the highest level um, and challenges that kind of power, he knows it comes at a cost. And I so appreciate that he's willing to do it. He has one of those um, who would want the who would want that job kind of jobs. That's right. <laughs> That's right. He does. He definitely has a who would want that job. My, that's the kind of job that your mom would say, okay, is there not anything else you could possibly do? Like, yeah. Um, I love him. I appreciate him. Um, and I uh, appreciate your um, giving thanks for him in public as well. You know, we need to do more of that. That sort of gets back to the, to the very first point of our conversation today. Mm. Um, we need to say thank you uh, to the people uh, for whom we are thankful, to whom we are thankful um, and we need to be speaking good words today. And so, Dan mm-hmm. DeWitt, thank you, as always, for speaking a good word among us this morning. Blessings upon you as you go today uh, to speak good words about your aunt. And and I know that in all of that, you will speak the ultimately good word, um, which is mm-hmm. the gospel. I just know that that's going to be um, you know, not only in your heart, but uh, but in your words. So thank you so much and blessings. 
Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Okay, um, thank you to those of you interacting with me uh, this morning on the text line. Remember that number is 877-933-2484. I'm having a back and forth uh, right now with listener Jan, um, who you know, wants to wants to probe more fully the conversation about uh, false narratives that are out there related to January the 6th um, and some of those uh, narratives being promoted and then evidence to the contrary that comes out. I think that um, I will I will say this and I'm saying this in the text line uh, to Jan as well. I don't yet know. I don't yet know which narrative or narratives will be proven out to be true about what happened on January the 6th. I know that the narratives are developing, that storylines are complicated, and there are several of them. Um, So yes, do we know that at least one uh, Black Lives Matter individual, adjutant, um, was involved in the insurrection at the Capitol on January the 6th. Yes, we do. Um, do we know that there were also people who I would regard as simply um, anarchists? Absolutely. Lots of people there who don't have anything in mind other than tearing it all down, burning it all down. That, that's it. That's all they have in mind. They don't have a plan beyond that. Not even really particularly interested in President Trump being uh, continuing to be the president. In fact, um, the guy that uh, was... Um, uh, was in court just yesterday um, in Michigan because of his attempts to kidnap the governor there. Um, he he, Trump was on his list of people um, to target. So I, I don't think that the and he was at the Capitol as well. So I don't think that we can point to all of the folks who were involved and say they're Trump supporters. Absolutely not. Were some of them Trump supporters? Absolutely. Have they said so themselves on social media? Yes. And so um, do I yet know which of these narratives will be proven out to be true? I do not. And so I am not the person who is going to be saying this is a false narrative and this is a true narrative. Um, I'm trying to have each of us discern what is the truth. And then ultimately, as Christians, uh, the point is to discern what is the will of God as we speak the truth into the world today. We're going to have to do so with some humility because my guess is there are going to be some things about which we're going to be found to be wrong. So we need to be humble. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.